Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to another episode of No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together. This podcast is available in all the podcast apps. If you haven't subscribed, please do so now and rate me. It really does help people discover the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at No Head Podcast. How are you doing, breathers? Yeah? That's my name for all of you who are taking time to breathe and be in the present moment. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Dorothy Oko. When I'm not doing my day job in communications, I facilitate a mindfulness course at Google called Search Inside Yourself. Today, I'm with comedian and YouTuber, Dr. Kingori of the Wicked Edition. <laughs> and if you know, Dr. Kingori is well known in the Kenyan circles as a comedian, having honed his art for the past 11 years. He has got a TV show on NTV, The Wicked Dr. Kingori, has got, he's a YouTuber, the Wicked Dr. Kingori, and he has amazing content, which is why we're here. Welcome, Dr. Kingori. Thank you. Thank you, Dorothy. I'm happy to be here. I am so thrilled to have you. You have no idea, but we'll talk about that in a short while. So one of the things we do okay. before we begin is we take time to just breathe in, take three breaths yeah. to just ground us. And so I will leave okay. the breath. We breathe in to a count of five. We hold to a count of two, and then we breathe out slowly to a count of five. Right? Okay. Do you want to take that adventure with me? I'm happy to. Right. Okay. Let's begin. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out slowly. Breathe in. Hold, breathe out slowly, breathe in, hold, breathe out slowly. And now let your breathing return to its normal rhythm. Just feeling your breath, not controlling anything. Just letting your breath be. And now bring your attention back. And we are ready to go. Thank you. Thank you. I felt my lungs. (laughs) It's so good because you never stop to feel your lungs, isn't it? Yeah, I don't normally. Right. I think I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll borrow that exercise for my personal reasons. Right. It's it's a good exercise to do. I do it between meetings just to take a moment to pause. Okay. Thank so, you. Kingori, I am so excited to know you have known you for um, a number of years. I follow you closely. You may not know that, but I do. I'm always on your YouTube channel. And congratulations on your growth. You're just at 100K last year. And now you're at, you're almost knocking 300K. 
Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And you are episode 220 plus already. So that's just consistency in creating content. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy. I'm happy that someone uh, has been following and that someone is you. Thank you. Thank you. So one of the questions I ask my guests normally is how was 2020 for you? What lessons did COVID-19 teach you? Um, 2020 started uh, on a very interesting note for me because I had just opened a channel. Um, I had just broken uh, a boundary uh, whereby the events that I was doing out of studio now, just the corporate events. Usually the corporate events and uh, MCing gigs were are reserved for the December season towards the end of the year from September. But 2020 for me started on a note where I started doing events from January, very big events. In fact, the week where the government announced the first lockdown, I was in Kisumu doing uh, a full weekend show, um, uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday uh, to return, I believe, uh, on Sunday, probably after the event or Monday. And then I had a series of events lined up for March 2020, which uh, by just common sense were cancelled from then and it took a while in fact i don't think in 2020 i did any event most of the events that we were about we had signed off uh to do um were cancelled because either the government announced another lockdown again so the movement was restricted so in terms of uh, growth potential uh, the covid pandemic really limited or took back took a back uh, a growth trajectory in a field that had just started picking. Mm, right. Yes. And so what lessons did you learn? Um, improvise. Um, and at first, when the government locked down the country, people didn't know how long they would lock down the country. But then it got to a point that uh, they couldn't lock down the country anymore. People had to seek for alternative ways to survive. And then that's another thing about human beings that people had lost. We had a linear way of doing things. For us to do an interview like this one, I would have to come to you or you come to me. Due to the pandemic, it's happening, which actually actually got me to ask the questionnaire of um, if things got back to normal. Why would someone need to go to a boardroom for a meeting when you can do a Zoom meeting? Mm. I've learned and exercised the concept of flexibility. Uh, On the show, The Wicked Edition, we used to have a live audience. Uh, With my linear thinking, I almost went off air because without an audience, I believe I'm a performer. I can't do a show without feedback. We would have lost the show. But then some of the best episodes we have done, we have done over the period where we decided to focus on flexibility and people got used to it. So one of my biggest lessons is adaptation. And how quickly you adapt because then you don't miss. So how quickly was the turnaround for you where you you said, okay, this is the way we need to go? Um, I think as far as the show is concerned, we only um, uh, took a break. Uh, took a one-month break. Uh, we did compilations of uh, the best episodes, and then we decided to hit it without the audience. And uh, based on my observation, that also happened to some of the shows that uh, ide- uh, ideally follow the concept that, or the shows that we borrowed the concept of the Wicked Edition from the Daily Show with Trevor Noah uh, last week tonight with uh, John Oliver. They all took like a month break and then came back without an audience. 
artists have been really affected with the pandemic. What was the impact for you? Um, of course, we had less events. The whole of 2020, I didn't do any event. As far as uh, performance, you know, even for influencer gigs, mm. um, uh, the kind of influencing that you, though I don't like the term influencer, uh-huh, I lost you there. Oh, no, you're, you're saying you don't like the term influencer. Yeah, I don't like the term influencer per se, but um, one thing, one thing, one thing that I learned um, in this in this industry, Emma, how I carry out my marketing gigs, I believe in conversions, just not pushing products for the sake, and I just don't take any product to work on. And uh, for the first time, I took a real estate gig uh, because I vetted the person, the, the company that we are working with, and I was satisfied that they are an accredi- credible organization. They have a, they had a very good concept to sell. And I believe that uh, we could actually um, finish up the project uh, real quick. But then after doing research, uh, once we took up the project and after doing research and understanding the state of economy, mm-hmm. that's, uh, I understood that it presents a different level of challenge in terms of how people are spending. So uh, it's, 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 a, it's a situation that has put us somewhere that we need to um, do things totally different in every possible aspect because uh, the revenue streams that um, artists do have, uh, either gigs, um, production of content and if you have noticed um the pandemic may have been a blessing in this guys for uh, performance performances too because uh, for the artists and comedians who are solely dependent on live performances they have created youtube channels which have blown up over the period of the pandemic so uh, yes creation of youtube channels uh, digital platforms but then the challenge that this brings is when it comes to uh, selling of products which is another revenue streams uh, endorsement gigs uh, if you're not doing uh, marketing solely for awareness purposes uh, when we talk about conversions the market is real slow in terms of how people are willing to spend right which is another challenge too we have we have yes. to convince people but i think people are beginning to be more willing to spend even on these things because of the pandemic do you see that do you see that people are willing to spend mm, i think that depends so that gets us to your show what led you to start yes. this show because you've got a following and i love how you you use politics humor to educate people i just it's so different one never knows what one is going to expect tell us about your dream for this and where where you see um the wicked edition with dr king ori uh i've had a different platforms uh to uh release let me say different platforms for release as a comedian. Uh, I joined Nation as a writer for an experimental project, which was supposed to only do uh, three months as a replacement for XYZ show, which was going on break. And uh, the host of the show, who was Captain Otoyo and uh, Obina then, uh, li- Captain Otoyo specifically liked my style of writing because uh, he knew me when I was performing stand-up before when I started out. So he invited me to be a writer on his show. Then I came and then I took it, it when I took it, I learned that it's a full-time job. So they stopped me from, from doing, uh, from doing stand up again. So I had to find a platform for release. So I came up with a segment, uh, two to three minutes of satire reporter, uh, a parody reporter, which blew up. Yes, a character called Kenyanjui. People loved it. So um, the show that was supposed to take uh, three months did one and a half years. 
and that was um, a good performance. And one of the things that stood out was a Kenyan Jewish character. So uh, when they cancelled the show, based on what I was doing on the Kenyan Jewish character, they absorbed it on another show and hired me to write for the trend with Larry Mandor. So I started learning how to package content. So I was sort of on a journalism, on a, on a crash program of journalism. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when when I started writing for Larry, um, I learned from what he had learned in school and what he had learned in practice. So writing for me took uh, writing for him took me on another level of writing. And then he and our boss called uh, Emmanuel Juma uh, really pushed me to now do a show on my own. And at that time, I think this is also another thing that I have learned is that uh, when you allow yourself to explore the potential that you have inside you, it opens you to opportunities that you probably never knew. Because I was I was sort of an average thinker because uh, an average or a linear thinker. I just thought that maybe having written for the offside show for one and a half years, I just should look for someone else to write for them. Right. And then when I decided to, uh, Larry invited me because if I was to come up with a TV show, uh, I would do a stand-up comedy TV show. But knowing how challenging it is to create content for stand-up, doing a weekly show would be quite a challenge. And this is an observation I made from some of the best comedians in the world. Some of them have content that they performed in in the 1950s. Uh, Say, for example, a gentleman called uh, Dick Gregory passed on in, I think, 2017. You see him do a joke in 1958, and then he does the same joke in 2016. And you're like, uh, over 40 years, uh, you didn't get more content. But when you go deep into what it takes to write proper content, because mostly stand-up comedy is about experiences, the best the best of jokes are from real-life experiences, then you can't make jokes from... Uh, you can't leave other people's experiences. Of course, it makes part of the content, but mostly it comes from within you. So um, it would be um, a show with a very short shelf life and um, it wouldn't be sustainable. So Larry invited me to his house where he showed me different formats of comedy. And then I went back to how I got to create a channel of release through um, the, the offside show as, as a reporter. Then uh, I thought, then why not just come from a reporter to anchoring a show based on current affairs because when as far as current affairs is concerned you never run out of content kenya even as we speak something is happening right now something that is worth laughing at is happening right now so just we just we just set it up and um i think the other thing when it started it was um supposed to be full 20 minutes of jokes which uh we tested the first episode which we wrote for over six months with back and forth back and forth because having had experience in what good content is we had we, we really had to nail it then uh, our boss then linus kaikai challenged me and he was like uh because the first episode we were talking uh the topic of discussion was the police why don't don't you get a right of reply from the police officers themselves why 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 don't you get the police spokesperson on the show and then make it a complete episode it sounded um rather tricky the team i was working with felt that um Having the police spokesman on the show with what we were saying about the police, he would mess the show for us. Then the next challenge was I had never done an interview before, so I didn't know how to run a conversation. But then this is what I did. 
I didn't, because I knew there would be a lot of back and forth if I was to argue with people. I looked for the police spokesperson then, Charles Owino. I went to his office and conducted a mock interview without him knowing. He gave me a meeting. <laughs> he gave me a meeting. I went to his office at Vigilance House. And this is also after uh, following uh, uh, Rashid Abdallah around for some time to give me a few tips on how to run an interview. So when I went to Charles Owino's office, I did a mock interview in his office with him without him knowing. And then I came back and told the team that we have to bring the police spokesperson on the show for the recording. So um, he agreed. He came. Uh, keeps time he showed up and then the next hurdle came so um what uh, do we allow him to sit in the audience when we are doing the first bit of the show or do it first as he waits outside then he can come in we do the interview i refused i was like i think it would be very unprofessional for him to to come for an interview then when he watches it on tv there's some bit that he did not know about so i insisted that we have him on when he came on he I think enjoyed it more than anyone else. The things he said on that episode, no one believed that a police officer would ever say. Right? That. He went on. I mean, uh, he complimented the show so well, and that set the pace of the show. And um, I think um, from the feedback we received on that episode, the general feeling was this show, um, this is good vibes, but mm. how long can you sustain? Right. That was episode one. Then we did episode two. Episode two, um, I book a guest and um, I call him. He asked me to see him at Serena Hotel at 8 a.m. in the morning. I went there and uh, told him when the the, the show, uh, when, we'll be, when we will be taping the show. And uh, as, I'm just, I'm, as I'm explaining to him what the show is about, he picks the phone. Uh, he picks the phone. Uh, he picks up a phone call and then leaves. He left me there talking to myself. So I don't even know whether he will be coming to the show, right. whether I should set up another episode. Then, uh, interestingly, he came. And then uh, I think it was a very interesting interview because in the conversation, I didn't even, this I wasn't prepared for someone who speaks without punctuations. Right. I think <laughs> someone who can speak for one hour without a gap to interject. Mm. So, um, and then I followed... Uh, the feedback on the show because we set one rule the episode that follows has to be better than the previous one right we were told that um the feedback was uh, we did good on the first episode but we we i think we lost it on the second and that that's not very good news right. on episode two so the pressure now began to uh, make sure that we set the standard of the for episode that follows has to be better than the previous one mm. so um from there, I've, I've, um, it's it's been a growing process. Uh, the feedback that we get from people, that's how we have grown. When we get constructive criticism, we apply it on the show. Some of the best episodes are ideas that have been suggested uh, by um, by our fans. I, I've always maintained that if our show was uh, to interview only celebrities, we would have run out of celebrities right. a long time ago. Right. Celebrities and famous people. And the interesting thing is when the show picked up, so it was not us calling the guests. It was even senior politicians calling, wanting to be on the show. I love it. And it has been. Yes, and it has been an interesting. Some some have always even tried to, um, and I think 
for the integrity of the show. We've never fell for that. Some people have actually even offered us money because they want to be on the show. And for me, that was a, a sign that we have grown to a place of rubber stamping a brand right. because coming from a place where have inviting people on the show they weren't sure of what the show is to a place where people would even want to pay to be on the show that's right. a good sign right. and then it became everybody's it became everybody's show in that uh some of the random episodes we did um i just went visiting my friend and i remembered something he told me about his mom and then i was like i think a lot of parents go through what my friend went through with their mom so why don't i bring my friend and his mom on the show and another friend's mom who is a secondary school teacher and a counselor mm-hmm. also one of the best episodes we have done wow. and i think people have the best the best achievement we've done, we've had so far is having kenyans watch the show because of content right and i think the quality of content and the re- relatability of what you talk about i think when i look at your co- i am one of those i have to confess this i'm one of those people i don't just watch an episode i look at the comments the comments are just an episode in themselves you know so i look at yeah, the comments yeah, yeah. And so it shows you how people are interacting with the show and looking at your comments there's such relatability there's such a vibe going in the comments do you read your comments i do and you know the funny thing is that we have we have a lot of feedback coming in sometimes you just read and screenshot sometimes we actually um, have the comments highlighted on the show because uh not to give an excuse but i am actually planning to set aside a day where i'll just go into the youtube as set aside say a whole day to just deal with youtube comments responding to individuals even if it even it it, it takes from episode 1 right the people who've helped grow yes oh they'll be excited i think there's something so personal when when the owner of the channel when dr kingori responds you know so um that takes us to the next thing which is really the for me the latest shows you've been doing on jailbirds people who've been in jail i have followed those and even it's in sheng i was so impressed that i understand enough sheng to follow those the episodes ah uh, yeah <laughs> what led you to to start the the the, the series It's interesting that they come across as a series. <laughs> It's interesting that they come across as a series. But uh one of the I think my inspiration for one of them was uh this this phenomenon of people threatening uh each other that they are not afraid of going to jail. Uh so go to jail take me to where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh someone thinks it just uh harm you and then because they think they are so hardcore they can uh, actually do anything cause they've gotten to um the wall so jail is nothing to them mm. well we've had people who have been to jail and they claim that the place is such a hell that there's nothing like hardcore mm. uh i think the people who um do that should actually experiment by applying uh, for a day in jail in the government like just apply Go, can you apply um, for a, a day in jail and get a pass? I believe you can. <laughs> I believe you can. And be treated like a like an inmate for just a day. Mm-hmm. And then when you come out here, uh really think about whether it's an experience you'd want to put yourself through because of choices that you have made. Right. And um ha- having these people talk about their experiences, yes you can laugh at them you can laugh at their experiences because they are past but when you go deep into what they went through 
I think it spells a lot of conversation. And as far as uh, when some before someone uh, resorts to commit a crime, mm -hmm. um, is it really worth it? Yes, right. it's a question that you should ask yourself. Yes. So one of the things I learned from your episode, and I was telling someone, and they said that's not the thing you should. That should not be your takeaway from that show was that make sure you kill all the witnesses because a witness is the one that will reveal who you are. And you know, uh, this, these two gentlemen were talking from experience. Exactly. There's, what I've learned from, what I picked from that episode was there's a law as you know it, and there's a law as the people who've been to jail have learned from their fellow jailbirds. Right. And this, I think, they talk from experiences. The murderers in their um, experiences of how they landed in jail because of probably how they didn't deal with their witnesses, what um, actually hanged them. Um, when when you look at it from that perspective, it's not a good thing to say, but it's what's happening. Right. Yeah. Yes. That was my takeaway from talking your your chat with the two gentlemen, and I was told that's not it. I was like. Now I know why when people come out, they want to kill the witnesses immediately because if they're on bail, that's the only thing they want to do. And that's the law they've learned from prison, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. That's my interpretation too. Because um, I asked someone about, um, I think it's Professor, is it Professor Pielo Lumumba? I think I, one of our guests, I can't remember, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, why, uh, what the definition of murder? And they were like, uh, everyone who commits a crime is trying to survive. They are trying to survive. No, no one would be like, uh, you killed, and now you're ready to be killed. I don't think no, uh, no one thinks like that. When someone kills someone else, they, they would rationalize it as what they could have done, mm -hmm. and they would try to justify it for that moment. Not that they themselves would want to go through the same experience. Right, exactly. What are the other lessons? So that has been really one powerful lesson. You've learned many lessons over your 220 plus episodes. What's the one that sticks most yes. that's very personal to you? Um, hey, it will be very, very hard to pinpoint one. But um, for the many episodes that we have learned, I think my greatest lessons are in finance. Mm -hmm. mm. I've learned a lot. I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned things in finance. We've had guests who uh, come on and they say something that really hits a spark in your life that really helps you view things differently. We've had lawyers on the show. We've had academics on the show. We've, I think, we've been, we've had, and we've had neurosurgeons on the show. Uh, we've had experiences that um, teach you the true value of life. Uh, the true value of peace and uh, being from the experience, I've seen very many people's experiences that I think they only apply in context. When I'm faced with, say, a certain decision, I could actually pull from my memory something that I've seen on the show and I'm like, oh, this is probably how I'm supposed to apply this. Right. What's the true value yeah. of life for Dr. Kingori? I believe the true value of life is uh, just being happy. For example, as far as money is concerned, we live in a very materialistic uh, society whereby someone, some pe people, people chase money all the time. Uh, for example, um, my personal lessons: um, no one knows my car, 
but we live in a society that uh, we've had people talk of, oh, uh, this celebrity is in a matatu or not. But then you forget that one of the lessons that I've learned, for example, let me just start it from scratch. Uh, it's arguable because everyone has their opinion. People are obsessed with owning. Right. You own your house, you own your house, you own a car, but then what are the costs behind right. you owning the car? Are you happy? Is it the ultimate goal? Uh, from, from my learning experiences, um, you buy a house, uh, say for, um, like yesterday, we were having a conversation with a friend of mine and they were like, you buy a house whereby you pay a mortgage of 80,000 per month, mm-hmm. but the maximum you can get as rent, if you rented the apartment out, is 30K. But you just want to live as someone who owns a house. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a conversation of, uh, you have no, someone talks about, you have not built a house, but you have a car. I got introduced to a concept of dead assets. You, um, you live in Nairobi, you live in Nairobi for the next like 40 years. Mm-hmm. Then at your rural home, you have a mansion worth uh, 10 million shillings just to show people that you have built. But you only visit the place like a once. Year. Yes, once. Mm-hmm. Why? Why are you tying up 10 million shillings just for people? People live for other people, most people. Right. Most humans live for other people. People live for the perception. People live for uh, what you want to prove to others, how you want others to perceive you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it all it makes sense. A friend of mine um, suffered a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been raised an orphan. His father um, he told he he told me from his experiences. One of my closest friends mm-hmm. that his father built a magnificent mansion. And when he passed on, um, he passed on when my friend was a, a toddler. He hadn't even started working, but the house did not bring any money. Mm. It got to a point where they started selling uh, the windows, the doors. They actually, they actually sold the house from where it was this, uh, to the point that it remained a shell. Mm. So, father did not. It you can't claim that he left them something to inherit. So, for for the person chasing uh, building a house to show people that uh, to show people that you have actually achieved, I think the real investment is in the values. Right. That as a human being, you have invested in yourself and other people. I believe that's how that's what you call a legacy. It's not the number of cars you drove when you're alive. It's not about uh, the amount of money you had in the bank because you're not living this world with it. Right. But the relationships that you have created with people. I, I love a certain saying that goes, people will forget what you did to them, but they will never forget how you made them feel. So I think that one of the most powerful um, sayings that I've come across and my perspective of the reason why I think I wouldn't show people the kind of car I drive, because I don't think that's the kind of image I'd want people to have of me. That's not how I'd want people. That's not what I'd want people to respect me for. Yes, we live in a very materialistic world, but um, personally, I don't confirm to the so-called celebrity life right. i am strictly about the content i produce i don't think i don't think my relationship with someone who follows my content is about the car i drive right. or about the house i live in at the end of the day i don't want to mix issues between uh, 
the kind of content I used to do or the lifestyle I used to live. It's right. strictly about the content. Uh, it's how I make people feel. If I make you laugh, that will, if you respect me because I make you laugh, if you respect me because I make you happy, uh, I think it gives me more points than me making you feel bad about yourself. Right. Me making you feel bad about how, why you're not driving a good car, why you're not living in a good house. Eh, if no one minds a good car, no one minds a good house. But then it is for you. Everything that you do should be for you. Right. Right. Uh, and I think I have, I have learned a lot of things uh, growing up and, uh, and they really contribute into the person I am. And I keep learning every day. Right. And that's such a powerful way to end the episode. You know, invest in others. How do you make other people feel? Do you make them laugh? Do you make them happy? Do you make them feel good? What's your purpose in life? Thank you so much, Dr. Kingori. This yeah. is such a joy. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. And all the Thank you for having and all the best. Well, that's all today in No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together. Thanks for listening. You can also follow me on Instagram at No Head Podcast. Catch you next time, my friend. Bye-bye.